3: Oh, Oh, it's a me. It's a holdinio. I am a bruiser. I throw a shell at you, Jake. I throw a shell at you, Jake. Oh ho 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 ho! It's a me it's kinda Mickey, but I'm not Mickey, it's a Mario. I gotta start now.
4: Oh, and it's me, weird low voice, German warrior. Uh, Oh, wait. You've just been coconut mauled. Send this podcast episode to five of your friends so they can get coconut mauled themselves. Mary, I assume you're putting in the coconut maul music underneath this part of the podcast.
3: (laughs) And uh, yes, we're here today to talk about Mario Kart. That's right. Uh, I think Jake's a wizard. I'm not sure what's going on over there, but I know that I am somehow a bruiser. It's like Mario Kart itself.
4: There's just shit flying everywhere. People are screaming. Nobody knows what's (laughs) happening. There's a squid shooting black gunk in your face and nobody likes
3: it. What a weird thing to gush about, because it's the, one of those things that just feels like it always has existed in our lives. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, uh, for me, Super Mario Kart, I, I wasn't a Super Nintendo kid. I, I went to other friends' houses and played Super Nintendo, and that wasn't one of the bigger games I was drawn to. I was more of a platformer dude. I loved Super Mario World, Donkey Kong Country, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, definitely always put the hands on these different games. Definitely played it played 64, played the uh, GameCube one, played all the console main console ones and definitely knew that the uh, DS ones were, were solid. But it wasn't until we had a Nintendo Wii and I realized I had just enough money in my bank to on a Saturday when we were just trying to figure out what the hell to do, chilling in Brooklyn. I remember it was a very hot day. It was a summer day, and we were looking for some extra fun, and I realized, like, hey, I'm going to walk over to the video game store, and we're going to get Mario Kart Wii, and we're going to have a blast with it. And we got so excited, and for at least two straight weeks, all that was happening in my apartment was Mario Kart. Just playing the shit out of it, playing all the cups, playing against each other. Just really loved that specific version of the game for me personally. In and in a really fun community household that is my apartment back in uh, back in um, you know Brooklyn. I'd say the Brooklyn. sun has
4: baked your head and it oh has. no wait if this is the we then you're still in Florida. No I'm
3: in Brooklyn baby. Okay and we got Bro- so many people coming through. Beer cans everywhere. No one's cleaning. No one mm-hmm. has time to clean. We're playing Mario Kart. Getting shitty, having a great time. Kissel was loving it. Uh, my buddy Jason Kephart was playing it. We were, and everybody who came over could just pick it up and enjoy it. And that's the fun of Mario Kart. You could be in your 20s, living that Brooklyn lifestyle, and still everyone says, hey, let's play some kart. Or you could be living in. I don't know any any kind of situation, you know, I've gone and visited families and sat down with their kids and played Mario Kart. I've gone to old folks home. I usually go on Sundays to a random old folks home Mm -hmm. and dress up like a monster and try to hop out of closets and try to scare them uh, to give them a little excitement. It's amazing that you started
4: doing that after COVID because you knew that they needed a cheer
3: after. They needed a cheer and a chill. Yep. And only two have died from it, so I feel like it's still giving back to the community, and even they love Mario Kart. Jake, did you did you play? What was your your Mario Kart?
4: So uh, it's interesting to see the sales numbers kind of reflect the cultural impact of Mario Kart because I remember a little kid, I was a Super Nintendo kid, my friends were all Super Nintendo kids, and I never really liked the original Super Mario Kart. Uh, everything from the way the Mode Seven graphics works to just how hard it was to stay on the track for my baby hands that like really just did not have a grasp of the game. But the definitive Mario Kart experience for me was Mario Kart DS. I got you know uh, a DS Lite, and it was one of the first games I bought, and I was addicted to it. And the sh- the greatest Mario Kart memory was definitely like hanging out with a bunch of college friends. And uh, we all brought our DSs, and I was the only one with a copy of Mario Kart. And using the download play feature, which let people who didn't have the game download kind of a demo version with a limited track set, and they had to play as Shy Guys. But it was a hotel room with, like, eight people in it, and we were all playing fucking Mario Kart against each other. And it was, like, a, a euphoric experience. Like, we were... Uh, illicit bottles of uh, ill-gotten liquor, just screaming, just having the time of our lives, and that's when like the true power of Mario Kart was revealed to me. To this day, I've played, I played the shit out of seven on 3DS. I have played the shit out of uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Switch, exactly yeah, as you, you described. Have. You, I've taken the Switch dock everywhere to family to friends. Nobody's mad when it's Mario Kart time. It is it's just- the
3: best. I mean, and that's why even for the switch, when they had you know that famous rooftop moment in the in the initial commercial for the release of the <laughs> switch, where someone goes to a hip rooftop party <laughs> and sets up the switch. and everyone <laughs> you and everyone's immediately you do.
4: And everyone was yeah.
3: fine with it. But that's kind yeah. of the truth. It's kind but they kind of the kinda tr- would be. They'd laugh at first and be like, I can't believe someone brought their Switch. What a loser. And then like an hour later, everyone would be playing and high-fiving and sucking each other's dicks and all that good stuff. I will say for me, we got Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U. We purchased the DLC. And even still, when I got my Switch, one of the first games we picked up was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which at least had the DLC included in it. Because my wife as well, Lexi, it is like... The fucking game for her when it comes to video games. as the one game she craves. That's the one game she wants to play. If I ever had to ask her, maybe Tetris, maybe, but for the most part, to the point where I am over it. I'm like, I don't feel like, I like never, I always, I only play with her when I just kind of want to like be nice and give her something, because I'm just like, we played this for hours. We played this so much.
4: It's, it is a genuinely happy place. Um, yes. As we'll get into in the episode, like, This was not full... A weirdly
3: frustrating, happy place.
4: (laughs) This was not a fully formed idea on the part of Nintendo. There is no, like, grand visionary of Mario Kart. But there's something about the simplified racing controls, the simplified shooting controls, the simplified drifting mechanics, and the simplified obstacles that no individual element of Mario Kart is, like, too much of a hurdle for a beginning gamer. And yet... When played all together at once, there's enough like in any given second, there's something that requires your attention and something that requires your input. So you are in the flow state, you are in the zone, that kind of dopamine, serotonin, joy state. To the point where I've sunk hours and hours and hours into the mobile version, Mario Kart uh, Tour, which is literally just. It's reduced the Mario Kart experience to an idle game, basically. You know, it's so stripped down, and yet that core engagement loop of dodging, shooting, turning, and maximizing the shortcuts and item usage just keeps you in a perfect chill zone. It's truly a remarkable game, and we'll get into how it was made Um I had a real grody friend that I knew through uh, the anime convention circuit, and he once bragged about how he and his girlfriend would play Mario Kart mid-coitus just to prove that they could. Ugh.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that is a grody friend, Jake. What was his <laughs> name? What was his name? Schlurman? What was that? <laughs> like-
4: <laughs> he was a furry, I will say that. So, like, yeah. all the laws of God and man did not apply to him.
3: But Yeah, that sounds like a, some furry stuff, which is fine, <laughs> and I do not shame it. I think it's fine, Schlurman. Go do your weird Mario Kart fucking. Uh, That's kind of funny. It actually reminds me of when I was a little kid, and I set an alarm for five in the morning so that I could play one level of Super Mario Land on the Game Boy and then go back to bed just because I could. Mm -hmm. Because it was the first home console I had. I was like, I could play it in the middle of the night if I wanted to. Uh, You know, but that was, I guess they're both weird in their own way and totally fine at the same time. And I will say- I salute you.
4: Uh, As part of the Sunday study group, which is a uh, elite tier on the Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew and find out how you can join the uh, Sunday study group to us, two men in our deep in our 30s, had a blast playing with people there. And it's just.
3: I suck it's at it, but a yes.
4: good time.
3: Uh, absolutely. It was fantastic. So here we go, Mario Kart. Here's your synopsis like you need it. Mario Kart is a series of go-kart-style racing games developed and published by Nintendo first in 1992, and since it has had a total of 14 entries and eight mainline titles. Also, I want to add on to this that I think one thing we forget, because talk about something we feel like always existed, that this actually defined the genre of kart racers, which mm. now is this just very popular, normal, thing that even read to, led to other smash hits uh, like Rocket League and stuff like that that used that cart concept in all these different fun ways, but it really was the first one of these just silly fun racers, which is very much needed in a, in a scenario where you, you're in a world full of like Gran Turismo's and things like that and people still want to inspe- experience the joy of racing, but they wanted to have shenanigans, Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone loves a solid, thick layer, peanut butter style, thick layer of shenanigans on their gameplay. So Mario Kart definitely did that in a huge way. So this game, uh, of course, was produced by Mr. Caves Behind His House himself, Shigeru Miyamoto. And one day he was exploring a particular cave that had a tiny racetrack with little mice driving around in tiny little self-made boxcars. Miyamoto, he got an idea. He thought, what if we adapt this to a video game? That part, actually, I do want to say because this is supposed to be a research-based podcast, that was me making something up.
4: I was happy just letting you lie for a prolonged period. I did
3: laugh to myself about the idea of it so much that I put it into our, on my notes. So there you go. But the game is uh, actually directed. He produced it. The game is directed by Tadashi Sugiyama and most importantly Hideki Kono. And he- Hideki Kono is going to be a major player throughout the entire series. Uh, Sugiyama was working with Nintendo starting in 1983, working as a graphic designer and character artist originally and is credited for doing the character designs for the game Ice Climber. Including That's
4: right. He He's the daddy of Popo and Nana.
3: Popo and Nana, which uh, have, of course, maintained popularity through the Super Smash bros games but uh he's more the art guy in this scenario uh, his first director credit is actually 1987 zelda 2 the adventure of link as well as pilot wings uh, and assistant director to super mario bros 2 aka uh, doki doki panic kono joined the company in 1986 after being a big fan of games on the famicom he also assistant directed on doki doki panic as well Super Mario Bros. 2, for which he was also a course designer. Same goes for Super Mario Bros. 3, and he was map director on Super Mario World before taking on this newfangled kart racer for the SNES. So Sugiyama, of course, as I mentioned, did the character and background designs. Kono handled the technological aspects and the gameplay. And it was only just, I love these, when we talk about these first Nintendo games, eight people is Mm -hmm. total total. That worked on this game, on Super uh, Mario Kart.
4: Shout out to an old school resource. Uh, long time fans of the podcast will know that we've uh, relied on them on some very important key old school video game episodes. But uh Shmuplations!
3: Yeah, Shmuplations.
4: Shmuplations uh, has uh, translations of both a 1992 interview and a 1996 interview. With uh, Kono and Sugiyama and Shigeru Miyamoto, among others, uh, as originally appeared in the original Japanese language strategy guides. And uh, one of the most fascinating things about how this whole process started is the the seed of the idea, the basic spark that set this whole thing in motion. What? And let's be clear, one of the most dominant video game franchises of the past 30 years, like... If we want to talk about games that have sold more copies than Mario Kart, we have to start getting into, like, Tetris and Minecraft and Grand Theft Auto and Roblox. These, like, yeah. gener- like
3: multi-generation, multi-platform, like, platforms in of themselves. Fundamentals. Like, I, I look at Tetris as this fundamental game. Yeah. You know?
4: So, uh, and all of this started... When uh, basically it's just a very simple pitch, uh, you know, this is Shigeru Miyamoto's grand vision is, hey, remember F-Zero, how we took uh, the mode seven graphic mode, which allows for the scaling and rotation of a flat 2D image. And by using a scan line by scan line rendering process, you can kind of like squinch it and scale it in a way that makes it look like it's just a flat 2D plane that can move in a 3D space. What if we, uh, like we did that for Pilot Wings, and we did that for F Zero? What if we did a two-player version where you can split screen? That was it. That was it. That was it.
3: They really and and, and let's talk about F Zero for a second. F Zero rules. I I loved F Zero from the get go, and that was a release game for the SNES.
4: Yep, that was kind of a uh, tech demo to show off kind of the things they could do with the Mode Seven graphics. Um, I don't even know if it was originally intended for that pseudo 3D effect, but very early in the SNES's lifespan, like multiple developers figured out that you could do that
3: like flat 3D, fake 3D effect with it. Music was on point, super cool, and it actually gives a whole new meaning to their inclusion of those F Zero levels in Mario Kart 8 uh, Deluxe and the DLC for the original. Like that, that is such a cool love letter because. Of course, they were always initially just planning on making a sequel to this game that had multiplayer, but they realized the way that they were, the way that they had split screen, it was just literally a so technological issue that forced them in to- In an
4: interview with, uh, in an Iwata Asks interview, which is one of the most vital resources to figuring out the development history- Thank you, history,
3: Iwata. Rest in peace. It's amazing.
4: And in an a Iwata Asks interview for, uh, for Mario Kart Wii, Miyamoto actually uh, clarifies that- They didn't set out originally to create a two-player version of F-Zero. One of the weird, like, you know, people look at F-Zero as one of the most kind of underutilized, mistreated franchises along with, like, Star Fox in Nintendo's lore. F-Zero really, like, they didn't think they were building, like, the F-Zero universe. They just were more excited about the Mode 7 tech, and F-Zero was just the trappings they put on it.
3: It was just like, what if we took this, and what the one thing this needs, though, is multiplayer. So let's, like... Kind of make that, but Kono said uh, in an inter- I think in that Iwata asked to ask potentially. He said in F Zero, you race it over 400 kilometers per hour along incredibly long straight lines. But we realized that splitting the screen into upper and lower portions for two players to do the same thing. Was out of the question. So instead, they decide that to create these compact track designs, these different twists and turns that would fit really well in a t- in a tighter space for the two player mode. You
4: literally don't have enough vertical space to see where you're going on a straightaway, which is why those uh, Mario Kart Super Mario Kart SNES levels are really just these little twisty turny things because you can only move so many feet ahead of you, like without with even to know where you're going.
3: So, they made the vehicle carts as opposed to like crazy space racers as the most sensible option as they move slower. Now, Jake, let's actually talk about carts for a second. All right. Do you have, I want to gush about carts for a second. Did you you get into go karts as a kid? Because I remember a little place called Celebration Station Mm -hmm. I went to. And at first, I loved it until I got into so many accidents (laughs) that the guy got so mad at me and made me stop racing. And then I was too intimidated to ever. You do it again.
4: Uh, you are strumming my pain with your fingers, singing my <laughs> life with
3: your words,
4: because oh that goodness. is also my go-kart experience. That's hilarious. Um, but there was a place near me called Sporttime USA that had a little indoor go-kart speedway attached to it. And I also just could not understand. I feel like there's just a certain level of coordination and like. Understanding yeah. the physics that a kid does not understand <laughs> when you put him behind the wheel. There was also that
3: shithead like bully kid that would just purposely take you out of commission too, mm-hmm. and like, but no one seemed to. Everyone seemed to have blinders on to that kid, and so they'd get mad at you for spinning out because he he purposely spun you out. Anyways, that was uh, my issue. But, but-
4: go karts has an interesting history. Um, the vehicle itself, there were always like so called. Excuse the term. It was a different time. Midget racers and smaller uh, form race cars that had waned in popularity since the automobile was invented. But the go-kart, as we know it, was invented by a man named Art Ingalls in Southern California in 1956, who uh, worked for a race car company. And the company was across the street from McCullough a lawnmower company which had just gone through a massive recall because of faulty lawnmower engines. (laughs) And so on a whim, uh, Ingalls walked across the street to the McCullough Company, uh, just pointed at one of these several thousand busted lawnmower engines that were just taking up space in their warehouse and was like, hey, how much for one of those? They're like, I don't know, 20 bucks. He takes it back to his shop, builds a little pipe frame out of it, hooks it up to a single wheel using a bike chain and is shocked to discover that this little cart not only can move him around, but zips him like a motherfucker across the parking spaces across the parking lot. After meeting with a friend and fellow auto enthusiast named Duffy Livingston, Livingston says, man, this thing fucking kicks ass. Can I like grab one? Can I buy one of these engines and make one for myself? Livingston immediately forms a small club of similar cart enthusiasts also in the Southern California area and starts his own company where people can build their own out of kits that he sells. Ingle starts his own company and the go-karting scene in Southern California in 1957 starts kind of picking up pace. The only problem is People are uh, constantly kicking them out of every empty lot and space where they gather because they are loud. They are spooky to untrained eyes and uh, a bunch of very bored men gather in hundreds whenever there's a go-kart meet. So local clubs and governing bodies are set up. And uh, by 1958, the sport goes international when Mickey Flynn, a U.S. air sergeant, orders five carts to be shipped to his uh, air base in Britain. And there, it becomes a fun pastime with the soldiers there, like a morale booster. It's such a hit that uh, carts are sent to military bases across the world, so places like Europe and Japan become addicted to the pastime as well. The sport in of itself grows in popularity, and by the 70s and 80s, karting has become kind of this, like... Uh, minor league, farm league, I don't know, NCAA for like the professional racing circuit. Uh, You know, champion Formula One racers like Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher both got their starts in uh, junior karting leagues. And in Japan, it's also considered a popular pastime and is uh, a mainstay at amusement parks. So... By the 1990s, karting is like kind of becoming this popular thing. So it it's like in the zeitgeist in 1992 when this team Nintendo EAD is looking for like I don't know what's a fun racing thing that isn't as fast as full sized cars,
3: right? And and it has that winding, constantly winding pathway track. Yeah, which is always the sign of a, a go, or always the case in a go kart uh play area or whatever you want to call it celebration station for me it was very fun they had putt putt they had bumper boats which i super batting loved.
4: cages you gotta get also scary childhood activity batting yes, cages
3: terrifying for children so going back to Mario Kart one thing you're gonna look at over and over again is a single phrase that is stated when it comes to coming up with Mario Kart originally and that is men in overalls they need <laughs> you to know this phrase Uh, Everybody at Nintendo needs you to know that men in overalls were originally what they had driving the carts, and they all had different colored helmets to differentiate them, but from behind, it was very difficult to tell who was who. And so they were like, what if we put a Mario in it, huh? He's easy to figure out from behind, you know what I mean? And then they made a bunch of dirty jokes, and I'm not going to repeat those jokes. because They're fil- the filthiest jokes I've ever heard, and it's they're kind coming of out of I, I
4: mean, it's kind of a synergy happening because Mario's original design with the overalls and the hat and the mustache was directly because it was easy to differentiate and abstract a human form using these kind of segmented uh, signifiers. From a distance, from a low resolution. So, even though Nintendo didn't have that many uh, IPs to work with, what made what made Mario such a good mascot for p- early platformers also made him ideal, and his derivative characters such as uh, Luigi, Bowser, Toad, and um, uh, Donkey Kong Jr. Hell yeah, Donkey Kong Jr.
3: showing up for the first time in ten years. <laughs> So that, well, that was one of the reasons they say it probably happened. It was the 10 year anniversary of Donkey Kong Jr.'s game. Also, Donkey Kong Jr. had a differentiation from Donkey Kong, and that was overalls. He had those white overalls, made it, or that like white tank top. I guess it wasn't overalls, it was white tank top. It's a onesie. It's a onesie. Because he's a
4: baby, because he's a monkey. Even creepier.
3: So, yeah, he so so that was just easier to animate is another reason for it. And they tried to do a Goomba, but he don't got no hands. So they settled with Koopa Troopa,
4: which, uh, not my favorite character, but he set the stage for Dry Bones, who is the best Mario Kart character. Fight me in the streets. I challenge Please. everyone listening to fight me in everyone the
3: streets. Everyone knows the best Mario Kart player is Wario, or I mean Wa- Wala- Waluigi.
4: Well, if we want to get into the competitive scene, um, it's technically Funky Kong, but we'll get into that later.
0: (laughs) Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until the Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked.
3: That's when we sleep.
0: Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
4: dual mode seven calculations, because it's actually, you know, the Super Nintendo, even in mode seven, requires a lot of horsepower to have two separate fields moving at the same time. And um, the items, which was originally kind of more racer themed, you know, in the alpha prototype versions, it was multicolored men in indistinguishable overalls throwing oil cans at each other. But the idea of randomizing the items was directly inspired by uh, the pachinko craze in Japan, which is why to this day, it almost feels like a little slot machine. You're like, ooh, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? Again, another dopamine hit while you're racing around and all this other stuff is happening is the like little gambling thrill when you're like getting a random item even though the items are heavily weighted depending on your position
3: I should say back w- back when it was men in overalls they had oil cans that they were throwing around to make people no. slip then they were like, Mario, Mario, don't throw oil cans around. And it was actually the banana came from Donkey Kong Jr.'s presence in the game. He was originally going to be the only character that was going to be able to throw banana peels. uh, And they realized that, you know, oh, this would be a fun mechanic in general. And then the shells, of course, just became a natural option for an item you could throw in front of you to hit people just from the Mario series. God, the thrill
4: of getting a red shell and just being like, oh, thank God. Cause like, I feel like I'd hit myself with green shells, more, especially in the SNES version. There's also weird, uh, like special items that only like computer controlled players can throw in the SNES version exactly. because they and had a ri-
3: originally that that was going to, the banana peel was going to be one of those items, but they decided to make it for everybody.
4: Like princess peach. If you're like, uh, if I forget who there's like a weird specific rivalry system where if you're playing as one character in the single player mode, there's one computer controlled player who is out to get you the entire time. But uh like Princess Peach will throw out like poison mushrooms that aren't an actual item in the game. Bowser will throw fireballs, which isn't a real item in the game.
3: And to make that purposeful upset happen that there has been a through line from game one That would eventually be Blue Shell, things like that. Initially in this game, it was the lightning bolt. And they purposely added that in because they wanted to allow for a big game changer to happen at the end of a race or at any point in the race for someone to catch back up in the lead. And it was always that idea. I mean, I think that's always what they've tried to do with Mario Party, even even with Smash, with the items. They've always wanted to make a party element where it's like, yes, you can take this kind of seriously, but we never want you to fully take it seriously. Like, we want just the little kid, like, we want the little brother to win sometimes with some bullshit.
4: So the game development takes about a year, and most of that is just spent refining things. It's really just about trying to get the physics of the car down, trying to make sure how the you know grip across
3: different terrains works, trying to get the drifting to work. They actually took the team to a kart racing place to get a feel for serious racing karts. Kona said, riding in an actual kart, we could feel considerable g-force, and it helped give us a sense of the low perspective. And they also wanted to show the programmers what drift felt like. So, again, they took them out to do that.
4: But uh, there's a quote by Shigeru Miyamoto from the Shmuplation 1992 interview. Uh, where he says, it was an extremely difficult process. Imitating a real car didn't work at all, and the only way forward was for us to keep meeting, talking it over, and revising again and again. I'm afraid it also made matters worse with my advice because it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, This part feels good here, but there's kind of weird physics. Um, I don't know. Yeah, uh, maybe we should change it. All that back and forth just worried and annoyed uh, the staff. (laughs) So it's really just like, All these compromises, all these weird adjustments on the fly, just kind of building and building and building on each other until the result was something fun.
3: Yes, I will say, too, they also built a remote controlled cart to understand the internal construction, which almost immediately was crashed into a wall and destroyed. Uh, But yes, they finally got to this really sweet, nice, sweet spot in terms of the racing, in terms of the cart feel. Then they included a battle mode. They just wanted to create a one-on-one type of game because, again, multiplayer is the key here. To the point where, and I forgot about this, but if you play single player, it's still split screen on the mm-hmm. original Super Nintendo ver- uh, uh, Super Mario Kart. A- and and that is just the whole idea was like, we want this to get in the hands of multiple people. Like, also, I think they were really looking for a game to justify a second controller since they did have that second controller port and they needed something early on. So they added that battle mode. The um, A couple more little factoids that I did like. The Japanese version of the game has Bowser and Princess Peach celebrating a first prize win with champagne. Just boozing it up with these huge champagne bottles Classic- Formula One racing trope. They end up cutting that for the American release. And I wonder why it was just Bowser and Peach, by the way, that got to get hammered and not any of the other characters.
4: (laughs) Bowser, because he's a bad guy, and Peach, because living as a woman in Japan is oppressive as fuck, and they seek alcohol to escape the agony. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of women in Japan, the music was composed by Soya Oka, um, who uh, definitely, like the original SNES Mario soundtrack is the most snes music i could possibly think of like the weird funky beats and rhythm samples that are scattered throughout uh mary if you can play a little bit of the super mario kart uh battle theme from the snes just give people a little taste of that she uh worked on a couple of games but uh she says the favorite tracks that she's ever composed for nintendo we're from Super Mario Kart, uh, including the Rainbow Road theme and Princess Peach's victory theme.
3: Mm. So the game is released on September 1st, 1992, and ends up being the fourth best-selling game ever for the SNES. It is credited for, of course, creating that racing cart cart uh, racing genre that I mentioned before. Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, Konami Crazy Racers, there's like Crash, Crash Bandicoot one. Crash, Crash Team Racing. Race. It's just everybody followed suit in, in terms of this genre. But of course, Mario Kart has always stayed supreme as the number one version. Uh, it's also the first non platforming game featuring characters from the Mario franchise. That is what? something that have, has also come standard today. Yeah. Um, I mean, That's it's. That's what they said again and again. I guess there was
4: golf. Mario yeah, Mario shows golf.
3: up in like golf stuff. So, but like, yeah. it's
4: not. But those games aren't. Labeled as Mario games, so I kind of get it. It's just
3: Mario, so I think that's what that factoid is. Luigi trying to be like.
4: shows up in a couple. It's complicated, but, but it's
3: well. I don't want to talk about the games Luigi shows up in, all right? Because those should be banned from ever being seen again. I'm not a censorship guy, but that is just degenerate stuff. Are we canceling
4: Luigi? Is this it? Is this? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, I need him out of here. I don't like the cut of his jib. Waluigi Luigi for life. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, let's move on to Mario 64, Jake. I mean, were you, were you, did you fuck around with the six foe?
4: I, this was, uh, my favorite, or at least, no, no, DS was my favorite. Mario 64, Mario Kart 64 was my formative experience with the series. Uh, Yoshi Valley, just constantly getting crushed by that giant ass egg, getting lost in the fucking weeds, getting killed by porcupines. Fantastic. Um, I've thrown many an analog controller trying to uh, navigate Chaco Mountain and then getting knocked down a lap behind everyone because a fucking rock that I couldn't see from off screen kicked my ass. Wonderful times. My sleepovers were entirely occupied by alternating between GoldenEye, Star Fox 64, and Mario Kart 64 for that four-player split-screen goodness. And... mm, Mm, That music, like those those pre-rendered billboard sprite graphics for all the racers, it all just immediately sends me back to a nostalgia zone.
3: Miyamoto said, Mario Kart UC was meant to appeal to a wide audience. We wanted to make a game where anyone from age 3 to 100 could jump in and start competing right away, regardless of their skill level. So in making a sequel, we decided that we didn't want to change most of the basic elements of the game. People have been saying video games are evolving, and while there are some things that surely have to change, the truth is keeping things the same does make it easier for the average Person And that is such a Nintendo mantra. And yeah, all they really did was bring it up to a 3D rendering scenario. I've lost my brain just then. All they did was bring it up to date with the 3D graphics of the age, of the era, essentially. They uh, they had Kono, Sugiyama, and Miyamoto returning in 1995 to work on this game. It was initially titled Mario Kart R, with the R standing for Rendered. The biggest difference was that the sequel had a four-player mode for both racing and battle, which really did push the software and the hardware to its fullest uh, at the time. Just having four four players playing a game at once. The
4: uh, Schmuplation interview from 1996. Uh, a ton of the just kind of uh, ink on the page is spent with all the uh, with everyone from Miyamoto to Kano just talking about how advanced the N64 is and how uh, this game couldn't exist on CD-ROM and how they totally weren't wrong for sticking with game cartridges and fuck you for yelling at us for sticking with game cartridges. And I swear the N64 is good and we were right to stick <laughs> with game cartridges. Please, please stop yelling at us about sticking with game cartridges. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting how they are at once um kind of bragging about the N64's power and also talking about all the compromises they had to make, such as having the uh, pre-rendered sprites as the drivers, having the reduced, uh, having this added simplicity when you go to split screen mode, and all the compromises they had to do to get the game to technically work. At one point, Kano is uh, talking about the ambitions they had for this game, and uh, he was super proud of the fact that, uh, this is the quote, uh, Uh, There were many things we wanted to add to the original Super Famicom Mario Kart, but were unable to. For example, in Super Mario Kart, you can only have four bananas on screen at once. It's not the kind of thing players really noticed as the bananas were continually getting dropped and then cleared from the map. But as the creators, we had our ambitions and we thought it would make some super fun battles if a hundred bananas could be dropped. I feel like those ambitions have been vindicated in Super Mario 64. Uh, Mario Kart 64, excuse me. Mm. We've been able to add lots and lots of stuff we couldn't before. If you want now, you could really put down a hundred bananas, which (laughs) considering one of the items in that game was just like a fuck ton of bananas. I I guess they were really excited about the banana technology.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They were so crazy about bananas. They really cared about nothing else in the game. Uh, They wanted to call it bananas, And then Miyamoto was just like, why? It's the sequel to Mario Kart. Why would you literally just call the game a name of a fruit? I will say, though, that does sound similar to their situation with the blue shell. Because didn't the blue shell come about because they were trying to figure out a way to just break the racers up at points when they would all get clumped up together because the processing power was so heavy and crazy when too many players got on screen? And so that that was one way. Not only just did it... Do that fuck you thing they love to do to make the to help the little brother win, it's, but also it would kind of just disperse them a little bit.
4: Maybe I'm not too sure about that. Uh, but there's a great video essay um, on the extra credits YouTube channel about the blue shell and how it really is a brilliant or the spiny shell, as it's known back in that game. Mm. It really is a brilliant piece of kind of like civil engineering of just like social manipulation because when you're playing a multiplayer racing game, it stops being fun if someone's just all the way ahead. There's no, like, the person in front is bored because, like, they just have to keep going in a straight line and hitting the turns like they've been doing anyway. The people in the back lose interest because they're kind of, like, you know, know that they can't win. But having this fucking uh, catfish in the tank just shaking things up, the constant threat that in any moment everything can get up upended means that once again, the adrenaline's pumping the, again, the flow state, the dopamine, the fun is always on a knife's edge. And it real, and it's just a simple item, just a like, Hey, this thing can, uh, you know, it's just an item that takes out the guy in first, but it creates so much drama and so much excitement. There is a, a funny quote that I need to read about the development of Mario 64. This is uh, Kenji Yamamoto, the programmer. Uh, he said, uh, my job for Mario Kart 64 was the cart handling, and that meant using a lot of actual physics. For me, I really want players to enjoy the analog stick controls. I feel like that was part of the reason why I hated, uh, the original Super Mario Kart is because they were trying to emulate like analog, like very analog, uh, driving controls with just a simple on off digital D pad switch. And mm-hmm. it just never felt right to me. But uh, with an analog stick, like the little, uh, Micro steering and like it just you feel way more immediate control. For me, I really wanted players to enjoy the analog stick controls to feel really connected to the cart through them. The carts will still respond to big clunky movements. But I was hoping that as players got into the game more, they'll realize that the carts also respond to the subtle movements of the analog stick. Unfortunately, I think most players really just tried to drift everywhere and pull off the mini turbos. And yeah. so I didn't see a lot of delicate movements. It was a little bit <laughs> sad for me <laughs> because this is the game where they introduced the mini turbos the mini turbo.
3: yeah, uh, instead the of the
4: ubiquitous sparks that we now live for. Uh, it was just like kind of the onomatopoeia sound effect of the tires squealing. And once they turned red, you knew you could let go and get an extra boost of speed as you pulled out of a corner. I didn't even realize that was a mechanic. I I played that game for years and just it was never like part of the meta with me and my friends.
3: Well, I mean, that would make sense because it was completely hidden. There was no indication of it. It was only it was only something to be discovered. So it would have to go, you know, pre Internet age. You would have to have caught it word of mouth in your friend group, essentially. But uh, also, I did like that they, they really did RC vehicle t- driving, especially back then, was, I think, a lot more popular. And they definitely did mimic that with the analog stick as well to kind of make you feel like you were driving a little RC car, which was fun. Uh, there was also the uh, but the little factoid part. For this game, the funnest one is that uh, they used, they had parodies of billboards. They had billboards that were parodies of American companies for the most part. Classic, like,
4: Formula One sponsors. Those yeah, are, they were, like, Goodyear, Marlboro, like... The best the, is
3: Mario Ro. Mario Ro is a... <laughs> it is, like, looks like a Marlboro cigarette billboard, but it says Mario Ro. It's so inappropriate for... Amer- it makes sense that they would pull it for American audiences. That's one of the ones that actually makes sense to me is, like... <laughs> advertising cigarettes to children, essentially, by doing that.
4: I love the fact that um, uh, in the original Japanese, the uh, now famous track "Mumu uh, Moo Meadows is uh, Momo Meadows because the onomatopoeia for a cow mooing in Japan is more of a mo <laughs> sound. That's fun. Oh, another weird little thing is the Japanese version uses a different voice cast for a lot of the characters. Right, uh, I,
3: how how could I forget? You, I think, made a reference to it in the beginning of this episode.
4: Yeah, uh, it was... A ri- Wario was originally considered to be, like, a boisterous Bavarian man, <laughs> and, or somewhere along the line. Um, I think this is also the first game where, like, Wario is folded into, like, the real Mario universe, and not just, like, on handhelds. Um, no, wait, that might not be true. There was Wario Woods on any... Other. Anyway, uh, so... There's a famous soundbite that Nintendo diehards love, which is just this weird, like, wrong Wario being like, oh, I missed. Uh, (laughs) Mary, actually, if you could just play that, that would be great.
3: Oh, I missed.
4: Because they just found a German guy to do the voice of Wario. Um, And it wasn't until they decided to change things up for the American release that uh, Charles Martinet, uh, famous voice actor who, behind every single Mario voice, Uh, kind of solidified the voices for not only uh, Wario but also Luigi and kind of created the now standard uh, voices for those characters that have continued to this day. That's what he sounds like, right? Let's talk about intelligent systems and their step backwards.
3: Yeah, I kind of want to just take this time to jump away from consoles and just run down the uh handheld games cuz they do kind of just go bump 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 uh we've got the third installment in the Mario Kart franchise and that is going to be Mario Kart Super Circuit. I don't think I've actually played this one, Jake. Did you fuck with this? It was on Game Boy Advance in 2001, the year of 9/11.
4: Never forget. Um because I never owned it. I never really played it at the time. I didn't even have I like my little sister had a Game Boy Advance and I like barely touched it because the screen was so hard to look at. But uh, because there were so many retro tracks on uh, Mario Kart DS, I was interested and I like plugged in an emulator on my college PC and tried, or I guess by DS I was out of college. Anyway, I tried playing it and it was too much like Super Mario Kart and I just could not vibe with it. I know it did a you know, it's the lowest-selling title, including the original Mario Kart 8 for Wii U, which is saying a lot. It uh, Kano wasn't involved. It was kind of farmed out to Intelligent Systems, who we know— I will say, know-
3: Intelligent Systems, I mean, Fire Emblem, Paper Mario, WarioWare, the uh, Advanced Wars series— I mean, this is a pedigree, great, fantastic game dev company, so they definitely put, it, put it, the game in good hands— but, and they definitely, especially in good hands to make a good handheld game. Intelligent Systems uh, started when a programmer named Toru Narihiro was hired by Nintendo to port their Famicom Disk System software. This is the peripheral for the original Famicom. This is Nintendo's Sega CD essentially. The uh, peripheral for the original Famicom that used floppy disks. And soon the team was formed. They became the uh, an auxiliary program unit for Nintendo starting back in 1983. Starting in 1988, they started making their own games with Famicom Wars, which would be Advanced Wars later on, lead to that. And Fire Emblem, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light, which saw a decent amount of success, turned them into a, from a small group into a full-on dev company. Both they became successful franchises later on. The, uh, and, and so, that, that, you know, yeah, I don't know a ton about this, but at least it established it as a strong, handheld franchise.
4: Weird side story about uh, Mario Kart Super Circuit. Um, the announcer voice for the game is, a uh, in English, is a guy named John Houledon, who uh, was also the announcer for Wave Race 64, oh, cool. who, uh, during his recording session for Wave Race 64, which also included the uh, Easter egg pissed off announcer, which is like a classic Nintendo Easter egg, uh, was given a sheet of Mario Kart voice lines to record. And uh, he did a whole set for that. He assumed it was for Mario 64, and it wasn't. He just never appeared. Those okay. voice clips are used in Super Circuit, and the guy had no idea he was in the game until the 2000s when YouTube channel Did You Know Gaming asked like how it, how he felt about being the announcer for that game, and he was like, I'm the announcer for
3: what? <laughs> That's amazing. So so were you a Mario DS guy, a Mario Kart DS guy, or a Mario Kart 7 guy when it came to hand with Mario? Both. Kart. Uh, okay. Mario
4: Kart DS was intoxicating. In our uh, Nintendo DS episode, we both talked about how formative and addictive and near damn perfect that system was, but... I played the shit out of that game. I yeah. unlocked all the characters, including an amazing out of nowhere Rob the Robot as a secret character. All the little missions that taught that's you right. the basic skills. Uh, the Wi-Fi connection, which allowed for online play, the which first was one in the series.
3: That's going to be huge for even today. The first time you could play with, uh, with or against people. in And you best a Mario believe.
4: I snaked the shit out of every single course because in that game, the drifting and mini turbos was so broken that given the right uh, character and cart, you could just twist and twist and twist yourself, even down straightaways, giving you a <laughs> million turbo boosts, completely oh breaking God. the game.
3: So this came out in 2005. I think the big thing is going to be, well, first of all, it moves from intelligence systems to Nintendo's in-house devs this time.
4: Kano is back uh, under production. On the as a producer.
3: Even though I guess it was established in Mario Kart 64, this game brought back the ability to draft behind another kart for a speed boost.
4: They added little zippy lines so now you knew it was happening.
3: Right, so it was an actual indicator. And you mentioned the wifi, Wi-Fi thing. I think that was the biggest one too, but... A huge banger for sure, and a definitely a big statement for Mario Kart on the on the uh, DS. And then in 2011, Nintendo releases their most recent handheld version of the franchise with Mario Kart 7, which incorporates the hang gliding first seen in Mario Kart Wii, which we will of course get to, and also had that multi- multiplayer support for up to eight people. The customization of carts also this is a big one was that was added to add more depth to multiplayer as well, which I feel like customizing the carts is so huge in the most recent version of the of the series. Uh,
4: that version was co-developed by Retro Studios, who also did uh, the Donkey Kong Country reboots that were you, I know you love, uh-huh. uh, as well as uh, Metroid Prime and a bunch of others.
3: Yeah, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze is awesome. Yeah, very, very good. Donkey Kong Country Tropical but Freeze. But the real yeah, reason... DKC episode.
4: The real reason for the season, the... Uh, I. Don't know if Mario Kart uh, 8 deluxe has overlapped it yet, but um, according to uh, 2019 numbers, uh, far and away the most popular one is Mario Kart Wii, which, uh, dear God, dear God, what a monster of a game.
3: Before we get to Wii, we should hop back over to consoles and talk about Double Dash real quick.
4: I literally wanted to skip Double Dash. <laughs> I- we don't have to talk about a log. Double Dash. Why do you want to skip Double Dash? Just like uh, Melee, or I'm sorry, just like Smash Brothers, the whole reason for the season is they keep trying to like re-dumb down the gameplay so that it's accessible to everyone ages 1 to 100. And so creating this like motorcycle sidecar dual racers thing and like, yeah, it's funny animations when they like switch seats and it's fun when like you get hit and your extra racer is dragging behind you. But, like, it just... I just never saw the appeal in it. Uh, None of the friends I had who owned GameCubes even owned it. And even when I would, like, futz around with Dolphin Emulator, I would play it for, like, five seconds and be like, eh, I, you know, all the tracks that are good in this has been rehashed in Mario Kart 7, Mario Kart Wii, and Mario Kart 8. I, like, I don't care. Um, It's just they wanted to, like have people in a helper like if they didn't want to race they could like it was their job to hit the trigger on the red shell when the person actually playing the game was like okay hit the red shell like <laughs> it's not it's not a big thing
3: yeah i don't remember i remember enjoying my time with it but i also remember Very little because the GameCube was so outside of my wheelhouse in terms of having it personally or having access to it. I did borrow someone's uh, GameCube to play Wind Waker, which ruled the Zelda game, but didn't get a ton of play with this. But it was kind of crazy that uh, 16 players could play at the same time via LAN support. It was also the first game in the series to use 3D polygon graphics for the racers instead of sprites, which... Is very nice. I think that at least is a graphical improvement for later games. And another big change here is instead of choosing from eight drivers, they had 20 characters to select from. And again, just opening up that character selection screen was a huge deal, I think.
4: It should also be noted that uh, Kono w- was not involved with this game either. He, uh, his pet project for the GameCube was Luigi's Mansion.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it does seem to be maybe if you were to make a case for one of the games in the series that kind of lost itself, I could see maybe-
0: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to ai common side effects include increased productivity compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction now i can say bye-bye to writer's block ask your boss if canva magic is right for you at canva.com designed for work
1: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or McCrispy sandwich but you're the filet-o-fish sandwich all day
3: Before we get to the Wii, because I think that's like the reason for the season here in the later part of the episode, very briefly just want to mention also the 2005 uh, Namco Mario Kart arcade spinoff game. This was literally just like driving USA, but with Mario Kart, you could get a magnetic card that saves your race data. There's a camera on the cabinet that takes a picture of you so you can have your face as your profile when you play the game. And uh, it's also just weird as fuck is I forgot about this. It has Pac-Man in it because it was a crossover with Namco It's the only. Only time you had Mario, and there was Tamagotchi in the second uh, version of it too, uh, which is just bizarre. And I do want to see. There's a VR apparently, like it's just the uh, VR edition that was only released in VR Zone arcades in certain countries, and it was developed for the HTC Vive which would be a lot of fun, and maybe they're going to incorporate some of that technology into the rad-as-fuck-looking Nintendo World theme park Mario Kart <sighs> game that looks cool as shit. I cannot wait to go to Nintendo World as soon as the world is at all normal again. All right, let's talk about it. Getting behind an actual wheel, Mario Kart on the way.
4: They really wanted this wheel to be the reason for this to be the deal.
3: Oh, not the the reason for the season at all. Uh,
4: they, in the Iwata asks interview around Mario Kart Wii, they go into all the various iterations of the, uh, Nintendo Wii wheel. Uh, you know, they started with like a boxy design because that's what cart steering wheels actually look like. Uh, They realized that was a little bit clunky. They had to figure out how to get people to hit the B button. Uh, They debated how to add that little circle, whether it was like too expensive to add to the unit or whether the controller looked too sad with just like a bare screw sticking out of the back. And the game uh, itself was highly engineered to kind of Really make you want to use the wheel. Uh, if you were using the wheel, your on screen icon had a little wheel next to it. If you beat the game with it, you got a golden wheel next to your icon. And uh, Kono literally says, we wanted to make sure that people who were using a controller knew exactly when someone with a wheel was beating them so they'd feel like they were trash and needed to get a wheel.
3: I mean, at the same time, too, is that a testament of them knowing that playing on a a pro controller would be a way easier, better time to play that game than with a wheel by making the, the statement that you would feel ashamed if someone with the wheel passed you. But yeah, I mean, I definitely messed with the wheel for a little bit. It was fun. But when I got serious about trash and ass in that game, then I definitely uh, switched back over. They also, though, did incorporate all of that online play that they initially had on the Mario Kart DS game. Kono said, we finished in time for the year in release, referring to Mario Kart DS, but personally, I'd wanted to do more. For example, like the ranking system and making it so that lots of people could share ghost data, things like that. They also added the feature in of populating the track as the game goes on. This was such a weird online feature. So, like, if you're in first place and you all of a sudden might encounter someone ahead of you, but that's because as people were dropping from the game, they would add people into the game waiting to go on the next race to, to continue just creating this chaos mm-hmm. in the course. And uh, that was such a weird, bizarre interesting way to go about it, but
4: uh, the having a separate Mario Kart channel on the Wii menu. Yes. So you could see who was playing, who was active, who was like beating your scores. And so it would motivate you to like get up and put the disc in and start playing yourself. There was a lot of, again, social engineering in place to maximize the amount of fun and engagement with the game. Uh, they also added the motorbikes inspired by Kano's own love of BMXing and extreme
3: sports. Kono said, I love BMX bicycles and snowboarding. When we made the game for the DS, we wanted to put in some elements of extreme sports so the players could do some rough riding. But it was difficult to achieve in a handheld game. That's why we decided to make it happen for the Wii. And in fact, the game was actually supposed to be called Mario Kart X for extreme. Uh, But then they changed it.
4: Unfortunately, uh, uh, Sakurai already called dibs on the X moniker because Smash Brothers Melee is uh, Smash Brothers X in Japan. So uh, I believe it was Miyamoto who said like, oh, had I known, I would have called dibs on it for you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was cool that they had the voice actors actually play the game while saying their lines to make them sound more natural. Uh, Kono also said of this, one of the female actors said that while she doesn't have a driver's license, she doesn't drive very much because she does have a driver's license. She doesn't drive very much because she isn't very good at it. She said this game was no problem, though. That was when I knew the game was going to be a success. And again, very true. I'm not a driver at all. I hate driving, and I love Mario Kart. It's the best, especially on the Wii.
4: Iwata asks if there was a moment of Chabudai Gaishi, uh, which is uh, known as upending the tea table.
3: I'm glad you put this in. I didn't put this in. And this is very funny to me. Uh,
4: Referencing kind of the uh, anime trope of someone kind of flipping the table in a show of like uh, chaos and disrespect. Uh, It's apparently an internal term that uh, people at Nintendo have come up with with the uh, pattern that Miyamoto had of walking up to a nearly completed game and demanding a bunch of last-minute changes. But uh, Miyamoto said that uh, it was not the case for Mario Kart Wii. It was, in fact, a very smooth development cycle.
3: We've talked about this before. I forget exactly what games, but it's a classic Miyamoto move to just completely throw in like absolutely new mechanics or some wild upturn. For sure, it's it is it is normal.
4: Another crazy thing about Mario Kart Wii, uh, besides the fact that Coconut Mall is a great level and the me <laughs> integration is uh, amazing.
3: Lexi, well, real quick, Lexi fucking loves playing as a little Lexi me when we play Mario Kart 8. So I just want to give a special shout out to that. It's something they had you unlock eventually because they wanted you to not immediately, they wanted you to play as the iconic characters at first, but yeah, Lexi always almost always plays as a little cute Lexi on a motorbike. And I love it too.
4: I'm not going to read the full quote, but one of the head programmers on Mario Kart Wii was one of the head developers of the uh, Mii integration with the Nintendo Wii. And so that's why on levels, again, like Coconut Mall, uh, there's insane levels of Mii integration. You can see your Mii's in uh, the ads. You can see them filling up the stores in the mall. You see them driving the cars back and forth in the parking lots. And that was because, and uh, they made a joke in the Iwata ass that, like, we could have called it me kart racing and then have Mario be the surprise guest halfway through. How that's how deeply integrated the uh, me experience was. Eventually, we uh, jailbreaking happened, the homebrew channel happened, and even though uh, I remember at the time being an internet addicted little dork that uh, the conventional wisdom for Mario Kart Wii was the tracks are too wide to accommodate the motion controls. It's too easy. It doesn't have the crazy snaking mechanics that high level players would use. And the idea was that, you know, oh, Mario Kart Wii is kind of a baby version of Mario Kart. This could not be further from the truth because as, Uh, the Wii shut down its online integration and shut down the Wi-Fi connection, the online fan community that rose up to fill that void has made Mario Kart Wii one of the most intensely loyal and intensely competitive scenes in the world. Like To the point where it rivals almost Melee, in the amount of just, like, diehard fans continually iterating and finding new exploits and new high-level techniques. They've, like, zoomed in the same way that Melee players have zoomed in on, like, Fox and Falco as, like, the ideal playing set. Uh, They've zoned in on this very specific combination of Funky Kong and a motorbike and a set of tires that gives you the maximum amount of drift and wheelie boosts and weight to beat every game. They like have found weird glitches and jumps. And to this day, the mod CTGP has over 200 custom tracks, dozens of custom racers. And uh to this day, they have tournaments with uh, cash prizes. That's People awesome. are insane for Mario Kart Wii to this day. And you can fall deep into the just micro mechanics that have emerged from this scene.
3: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, it makes sense. Wii really revitalized the, uh, the franchise. It was not, not that it was an unpopular franchise, but it just, with the explosion of the Wii, and definitely check out our Wii episode that we did not too long ago, so maybe it's just fresh in my head. But man, Mario Kart, like it, anyone who had a Wii also had Mario Kart, and it was just such a big hit, smash hit, after everybody was sick of sports and uh, whatever else that they were playing initially on the Wii. Mario Kart was that second wave of just smash popularity on that console.
4: I mean, it was how many decades since Super Mario Kart, and they kept refining and refining and refining this insane, unlikely gameplay loop where, like I said, any given second, you have a task, not too hard a task, not too frustrating a task, but there's always something you have to be managing. You have to make sure that you're dragging your shell behind you so you don't get blasted from the back. You have to make sure you're dodging obstacles. You have to make sure you're drifting right to nail that corner. You have to keep an eye on the map to make sure that, uh, you know, you aren't trailing too far behind everyone. It's just And any one of those individual mechanics are pretty easy, but combined you have this supremely enveloping experience Anyone can play. Anyone can pick up. And thanks to the way the items are balanced, you know, if you're falling too far behind, you get a bullet bill. All of a sudden you're back in the pack. You're having fun. You're like neck and neck with your best friend and you like get on the inside corner and doing high level racing play. You're having fun. Everybody's having fun no matter what their level of skill is. It's truly a miracle of like game design and iterative evolution.
3: And really, Mario Kart 8 just feels like an extension of that, Uh, honestly. It feels like it was established with the Wii, and Mario Kart 8 just pushed it a little bit further, just gave us some new courses, some rehashes of them old courses like they love to do in this franchise. The fully orchestrated soundtrack? Jesus Christ. Awesome. Yeah, first released on the Wii U in 2014. So nice, they put it out twice. The Wii U was a big failure, so they had to put it out for the Switch. Uh, later, they put it on the Switch as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and, uh, and that was in 2017. It's just this fantastic culmination of, of all of its predecessors, and it's uh, actually also the best-selling Switch game. Uh, which is so crazy. And between both versions, it's one of the best-selling games of all time. The new hot thing here is the anti-gravity elements that have players driving on walls and ceilings, as well as a mechanic where players bump into each other for a boost. The DLC for the Wii U version, which uh, comes with, with the initial Switch version with the deluxe, is fantastic. I mean, it was very rewarding as a person who got that game right when it came out. To get to add on this tracks from Legend of Zelda, Animal Crossing, F-Zero with the Mute City and Big Blue courses, two of my favorite courses in the entire thing, and Excite Bike. With everything, it's got 48 tracks total. It also did spawn that hilarious Luigi's Death Stare meme, which is the look Luigi gives to other players when he gets passed or fucked over by them. Very, very funny. It's just finally
4: Nintendo didn't have to worry about all these weird limitations that had defined the series, whether it was the Wi-Fi lag or the uh, split-screen processing power or all of these things. Finally playing Mario Kart looked and felt as epic and insane as playing it like you could imagine it being. And it's just so many tracks, so many options. Uh, The multiplayer is near flawless.
3: And they finally got to realize their dream of a bunch of young people playing Mario Kart on a rooftop, which was, (laughs) I mean, really the whole... The whole point, Miyamoto said, I was exploring the caves behind my house and I thought about how fun it would be to not be in a cave right now, but instead to be on a roof with all my bros playing a kart racing game. And that's, that's you know, it's amazing to see this culmination. Yeah, it's really just badass. I mean, we still play it today. That's how good it was. I was playing it on Wii U back in fucking 2015, probably, 2016. And I I play, we played it the other night, like for just not because of this episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's amazing. <laughs>
4: Uh, I just want to shout out uh, the incredible musical themes that have defined the series. Uh, some of my favorites. Uh, Mary, I'm going to make you real rapid fire some clips. Uh, Waluigi Pinball uh, for the DS still plays in my head whenever I'm driving. Uh, the incredible like Irish jig of the Moo Moo Meadows uh, theme in Mario Kart 8. I'll, you know what? I will give Double Dash a shout out here. The weird ska energy of uh, the Waluigi Stadium theme is incredible. <laughs> and maybe the most epic fucking thing in the world, Rainbow Road from Mario 64. Hell Yeah. the way that every single mario game mario kart game has this like it's almost it's like half victory lap half like trial by fire with the rainbow road you know you're you're falling off the edge a bunch of times you're seeing all these crazy uh, space graphics the music is blasting it's it's amazing watching each version of the game try and outdo itself with the rainbow road track
3: a uh, couple more little games to close this out as we wrap up our Mario Kart episode. Uh, I have a little section here called Mario Kart Goes Mobile. Boo! Boo!
4: Yay! It's great! It's great! You should play. Jake
3: it. is actually saying. Jake says, "Hey, they're actually saying Boo earns. Boo earns. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I uh, and yes, I did write this down in my notes as well as what I'm saying right now. Mario Kart Tour came out in 2019 as the 14th game in the franchise for iOS and Android devices." The uh, game's simple play style and graphics are fine, I guess, but of course it's full of gotcha elements, and every unlockable thing costs money on top of a $5 monthly pass that allows you to play 200cc. Whatever, Jake, explain why this is good and why I'm an idiot.
4: You can, just by playing the game like normal, you easily get enough premium currency to uh, participate in the gotcha mechanics. Uh, As long as you're not a highly uh, gambled addictive person, uh, you can just like, Go for your draws, and if you don't get the one character you were really hoping for, hopefully you can just take a breath and move on. But I have never given the game a cent, and I've probably played for over 100 hours at this point. The uh, remix stages and new racers that they add are ones that haven't even existed in the uh, regular games yet. And in terms of how exploitive it can be, it is nothing in compared to like the candy crushes and, uh, you know... Uh, waifu games that are out there, and also it's kind of Kano's. Um, Kano has had a really fascinating career. He's worked on stuff like uh Mario Kart, but also like these kind of unlikely hits like Dogs. And his current job for Nintendo is kind of being the shepherd of their mobile uh division. He produced Super Mario Run, Fire Emblem Heroes, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, all these mobile games that you know. Back when the Switch was kind of an iffy proposition, this w- he might have been the sole like caretaker of Nintendo's future. And I think Nintendo's mobile offerings does reach a balance between free-to-play shenanigans and high-level uh, AAA development on, on, on underutilized platforms. I'll say that much, and I appreciate Kano's guidance in that regard.
3: Hell yeah. Another thing that I would actually consider picking up if I had a kid in the age range that would enjoy it is the most recent entry, and that is Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. It's really fucking cool. It came out this year, I think, or last year. Yeah, 2020 the most recent entry. It uh, it actually utilizes radio-controlled cars, real radio-controlled cars, responding to how the players play in the game. A dev group called Velen Studios created a hardware prototype, which was a hit with Nintendo, who then applied it to the Mario Kart franchise. The game comes with a Mario and Luigi in their respective karts, as well as four gates, arrow signs, and a charging cable, and one lays all this out in a course in their home, and then actually gets to race the cars in an AR format with their Switch. The cars have cameras. Is mounted to the back to give one the same third person perspective they get in a normal Mario Kart game. And it looks cool as fuck. Uh, I just, it's a bit of a one-trick pony for me. I'm not that into like RC cars either or anything like that. Uh Hot Wheels or whatever. So, but I think if like for kids, I think I think it's just a really neat concept at the very least. I love AR.
4: There's a um video on YouTube by the very popular tech channel, Linus Tech Tips, where they actually do a full four-player multiplayer setup, which is technically possible in the software, but like between the cost of the carts and Nintendo, it's like a two thousand dollar prospect to actually do it. And they discovered that um, the high bandwidth uh, Wi Fi, ban- the amount of like Wi Fi bandwidth that you need to get the video signals back from all these different carts, is almost unfeasible on a single network. But it can be done. <laughs>
3: Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention was the, you know, speaking of real life Mario Kart, in Japan, there was a company called Car that had a go-kart rental business. I'd always see pictures of this. They let tourists dress up like Mario characters and ride them around on the streets of Tokyo. But, of this course, Nintendo. This is big Nintendo, Reddit
4: fodder. Like, it feels right? like every couple of months, someone on Reddit it's, was like, oh, did you you can do this.
3: I went to Tokyo. This is what Americans do when they go to Tokyo. They do this shit. And, uh, of course, Nintendo had this shutdown in 2018. But the good news is, and I already talked about this, but... Universal Studios Japan recently announced their Super Nintendo World theme park. They have plans to build a Mario Kart ride in most of their parks. I cannot, I cannot wait for Nintendo World, but a Mario Kart ride looks so smart. And look at the pictures of it. I think there will be like winners and stuff. I don't know how it's actually going to go down. It has like an
4: AR component. You have to like wear a fancy like visor that projects like game elements while you're like riding
3: around. Give it give it to me yesterday. I'm so thrilled about it. But Jake, I think that about does it for our Mario Kart episode.
4: Uh yeah. It was neat kinda kinda diving into the Nintendo archives and, you know, uh reliving all of these memories. I know there are some true diehard fans, and I hope we did it enough of a service that you don't hate us forever.
3: I mean, I do I will say, I think you're right when you liken it to a game like Tetris. It is such a I will be surprised if we end up in a world where we're not continuing to play this franchise, you know, with our kids or or into old age. I mean, it's just such a just fantastic franchise, unending in en- endless, endless possibilities.
4: Hey, if you liked this show, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to share this with you guys, but uh, it's my birthday this week. Hey! And it, uh, it would be really nice if you went to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew and got yourself a little membership there, because then you get a gift from me which is uh, hundreds of bonus episodes that we've recorded <laughs> over the years.
3: Please do that. Also, Jake, happy birthday this week.
4: Thank you. That's I'm exciting. old as
3: fuck. Uh, we're both old as fuck, so don't worry about it. Hey, uh, check me out on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Monday, Tuesday, Friday night streams. We always have a blast, and it'll always last. I'm going to say it'll never last, but that's, um, that would be foreboding. Uh, Jake?
4: Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung for all my thoughts and plops and uh, pictures of birds. Trust me, you're going to love it there, unless you have uh, opinions that I don't agree with. Then you're going to be extremely annoyed with how adamantly I say things.
3: And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.